this podcast is part of the You Haven't Heard This Productions and Publications Network. For more great shows and blogs and vlogs, please visit www.yhhtmpc.com. My first book was published in 1989, A Time to Kill, and when it came out, it didn't sell. I was very busy then as a lawyer, and I... I told myself, I'm going to write one more book. And when I was in law school, I had a friend who was a top student. And this guy was uh, heavily recruited. And he would go off to visit law firms. And he came back from a trip, and he said, you know, I, I didn't really feel good about that firm. I got the impression that uh, once you join the firm, you never leave. And you're like it's owned by the mafia or something. Well, that was 10 years earlier, but the idea stuck. And so I pitched it to my agent in New York. I said, okay, here's the idea. Young hotshot law student can go to work anywhere. He picks a small firm, and once he goes there, he can't leave. It's secretly owned by the mafia, and nobody ever gets out. And he went nuts over it. Looking back when I was writing it in longhand, uh, in courtrooms or early in the morning, late at night, the office, whenever I could write, I'd bleed in the story, and I, I wanted to keep the tension going, and it, it worked. How far has he gotten? Not that far. Let's be perfectly clear. If Mitch McDare ever finds the truth in this case, everyone in this room is going to prison. I sent the book to New York to my agent, and nothing happened. Publishers didn't want to publish it. Somebody in a copy room in New York ran a bootleg copy of the manuscript, 500 pages, and probably sold it to a scout. And the bootleg copy popped up in Hollywood, and this guy got it. And he made about 25 copies of it, claimed to represent me and sent it to all the big movie houses. I knew nothing about it. And the phone was ringing, and it was my agent in New York. And he said, we sold the film rights to the firm to Paramount Pictures. And I said, okay, just for fun, how much money did we get? He said, $600,000. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. After the movie deal, suddenly all the publishers wanted the book. So we had another auction, and David Gernert, who is my agent now, he was my editor, he bought the book for Doubleday. And then it was uh, fascinating to watch the book just kind of march around the world, language by language. I thought things had pretty much died down in the past uh, several years with the firm. And then Luke Ryder shows up, you know, with this idea for a TV show. The show picks up about 10 years after the events of what people know of as the firm. The voice you just heard was that of John Grisham in an interview with NBC talking about his book The Firm from 1991 which was the foundation of the film from 1993 of the same name starring Tom Cruise and directed by Sidney Pollack which is the subject matter of today's podcast. Welcome to the Adapted to Screen podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today we're going to be talking about the book and the film The Firm. Joining with, joining with me, joining with me, joining me to talk all things The Firm. I have my co-host and co-pal Phil McCullough. Hello Phil. Hello Richie, how are you mate? Mm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm okay. As usual, busy. And, and yourself, your good self? Yeah, man. Living the dream, my brother. Living the dream. Good, 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 good. So this one's uh, been an interesting... We've got no guest this week. I know, yeah. It's just us. Just me and you. Mm. No celebrities on the show this week. But I've had quite a journey with this uh, this book and this film. It's been interesting, so it should be a good one still, I think. Well, just before uh, just before we do continue, Richie, uh, just wanted to uh, just wanted to say thank you to all the people who actually listen because I never thought anyone would listen, <laughs> but, uh, but 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 people do. Uh, so uh, from Richie, I'm sure Richie does thank people as well. Uh, thank you very much for listening, uh, and thank you to all the guests that we've had on. Um, and just uh, just something that always entertains me a little bit, Richie, is the um, is where people live who listen to us and I'm not just talking about you know block switch Bob but uh, you know we've got people in uh, America Germany Ireland Canada Australia even places like Kuwait France Norway Israel Spain Lebanon Japan 
Portugal and Czech Republic who are new listeners. Um, so we, we are, could we say we are a truly international podcast? I don't know. But, um, who the but fuck thank- is listening to us in Lebanon? Well, no, don't say it like that, Richie. Say thank you very much for all the people who do <laughs> listen in Lebanon. That's how you put it, mate. Okay, you don't know who the fucking hell listens to us there. People who are interested in the differences between the book and the film. Of course, of course. And yes, thank you very much to everyone. Phil, you, you seem to keep up on the numbers and the stats a lot more I than do. I do. I remember when I started the music podcast, I was exactly the same and then I just kind of lost interest in all that. So it's nice <laughs> to have someone remind me that people do actually listen. Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been cool. Um, our last episode, which was um, the Hellbound Heart versus Hellraiser, uh, it's actually our fastest downloaded episode, if you knew that or not. Is it really? Yeah, it is, yeah. It was a very good episode, that was. Indeed, you can check that out in the archives if you, uh, if you so wish. If you're a new listener, I definitely recommend you go back and listen to that. We had Simon Bamford join us. He was a one of the Cenobites in the film very good episode I, I think I listened I think most of the listeners we had on that uh, episode were probably just me because I kept listening to it over and over again it's brilliant I, I don't think it works like that Richie I think like once you've listened to it once that's it it's about downloads and not listens and downloads and listens are the same thing in the podcast industry they all count on the same thing oh so it's just you then so literally the fastest <laughs> downloaded episode is because you've listened to it like like 90 times thanks mate yeah. cheers thanks <laughs> Thanks for bursting my bubble. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's not. I think I listened to it uh, once, or, once or twice. I'm sure there's lots of people out there that really enjoyed it. And if there Indeed. are people out there that aren't listening to this and enjoying the podcast, it'd be interesting to get your take also on uh, the, the films and the, the books. If, uh, if you too have read and watched the films, so let us know what you think of these. Or suggestions. Suggestions, yeah. Give us some suggestions. Yeah, of, uh, yeah that'd be great. Mm. Adapted to screen... Uh, adapted to screen at gmail.com or you find us on Twitter uh, adapted to screen and let us know anyway Richie this intro has been about like half hour uh, any chance of getting on with the podcast yeah go on give us some author bump alright and author <laughs> author bump <laughs> John Grisham is an American novelist and lawyer as you might have heard earlier on uh, known for his popular legal thrillers according to the American Academy of Achievement Grisham has written 28 consecutive number one fiction bestsellers and his books have sold over 300 million copies worldwide uh, books as I had previously said books like The Client The Firm The Pelican Brief A Time to Kill all which have been uh adapted to screen so there's lots of us to uh, look at in the John Grisham fandom and that's about it really he, he sounds like he's been a busy boy well most definitely uh, he's only he's, he's only he's only 67 years old it's uh, so you know he was uh, he was at it at a very early age I don't know if you noticed but listening to him in that interview he sounded like he could have been in an episode of Dallas <laughs> yeah well he was born uh, well, well funny you should say that he was born uh, is it uh, Arkansas uh, and, I, and I believe I believe Arkansas uh, is in Texas uh, I'm not sure on my uh, I'm not sure on my American geography uh, but he also graduated from Mississippi State University and I think is Mississippi uh, in Tennessee and is Memphis also in Tennessee so he was using a lot of his uh, especially for the firm, using maybe local knowledge about where he lives, I suppose, as most authors do, I guess. Yeah, I, I guarantee he's got at least five different uh, shades of cowboy hats in his house. <laughs> a 45-gallon hat. I'm not going to lie to you, Phil, I wasn't sure about this book when I first started reading it. I know, mate, because of the messages you were sending me. <laughs> what? What's this about tax law board? A board... <laughs> Well, actually, I found it quite fascinating. Um, but okay, let's quickly uh, let's quickly do the um, let's quickly do the IMDb cast rundown. Uh, the main cast, so we've got Tom Cruise as Mitch McDeer, uh, Janae Triplehorn, oh fucking hell, Janae Triplehorn, uh, Janae Triplehorn as Abby McDeer, Gene uh, Hackman. Uh, we've also got Wilford Brimley, uh, Holly Hunter, Ed Harris, Gary Busey. And uh, Tobin Bell, as well as maybe more modern-day fans of film would know him as Jigsaw. Oh, okay. I was actually tempted to try and get Gary Busey on for this episode, but then I thought it would be just 
Manny couldn't he? I reckon that geezer can't work a fridge, let alone a fucking podcast, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> geezer's fucking mad, ain't he? I love Gary Busey, and I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about this later on, but um, yeah, I love abuse. He had a nasty head injury or something, didn't he? Uh, so, yeah, I think so, that and drugs. But um, but but let me tell you this, right? If you're watching a film, I, right? I've always said that James Earl Jones is not in a bad film. What any film with James Earl Jones in is a great film. Any film with Gary Busey in is fucking amazing because it's the Buse. Mm. He just brings the level up like a hundred percent. Not so much these days. Some some of his last works were a bit questionable. He did a, nah. a Christian a Christian movie uh, some years about I don't know probably about fifteen years ago because he, he became a born again Christian, didn't he? And it Fuck's was sake. fucking diabolical. Yeah, but the abuse is the abuse, man. Don't abuse the abuse. <laughs> right, so Richie, this is where I ask you, when did you first learn about the movie or the book, The Firm? I'd say recently. I always knew they were, they were there, but, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like law and tax okay. law, and uh, so it never really appealed to me. So, yeah, even when you sent it over, I thought, fucking hell, what's he thinking? But, uh, <laughs> I'm always willing to be proved wrong. Good. Okay, okay. So for regular listeners and for new listeners, what we tend to do is try and follow the path of the book and then pick up on the differences in the film and wonder why they made those differences. So, Richie, do you want to start us off? Um, I, I honestly can't remember the book from the film. At this point, it's been, it's been a while since I've read... It's been a while since I've read the book and uh, a few weeks since I've watched the film and they all seem to blend into one now. Whose fault is that? Oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not blaming, uh, <laughs> blaming you for that. No, it's just... Um... No, but it is true. I think one of the, uh, I think one of the difficulties uh, in this podcast is I always read the book first, then watch the film and then just remember the film. But let's start off. Okay, let's start off. So um, in the book, uh, we meet Mitch McDeer and I wouldn't, I've always wondered what the why stood for. Mitchell Y. McDeer. What could the Y stand for? But we can come back to that later on. So we follow Mitch. He's actually in an interview with uh, the firm in Memphis, uh, which name escapes me slightly. And he's offered the world, basically. He's offered something like 86 grand. He's offered uh, a low mo- uh, a low cost loan on a mortgage for a house, a new car, uh, so on and so forth. He's very excited. He talks to his wife about it. She's very excited because she gets a house. It's put across in the book that Mitch doesn't have or has not come from money where his wife has. And so he's got the thing about wanting to make something of himself, which is which is noble in itself. They get all their stuff and they move off to uh, Memphis. They go and meet everyone there and, you know, they have a good time and they show them a good time and these people want Mitch McDeer and they make it clear. Uh, you know, it's a small firm, 41 people. You know, no one, there's no churn, as we say in our industry. You know, no one leaves and they've been there, they've made a few friends so far. And uh, when they get there on the, let's just say on the Sunday, ready for start work or on the Saturday, uh, they learn that, two of the associates have been killed whilst at the Cayman Islands and his first job is to attend a funeral to people he never even knew and this is where things start to go badly wrong for Mitch McDeer. Yeah, there's more emphasis on the word the firm in the book the firm this, the firm that it feels more of an entity in the book than it does in the film yeah i think i think maybe maybe two reasons i think maybe just because it's um because the company's like it's like three there's three names it's like you know donald h and smith or whatever it is and i'm guessing that if you're going to write something you don't want to have to keep writing the bloody names every five seconds so you just say the firm and there you go you're fine most you know, most uh, like if you're a solicitor's, you're a firm. You're a solicitor's firm. That's what you are. Uh, so to call it the firm is just, you know, an easy way of saying the company. There's actually uh, a solicitor's in called the firm. Is that? Yeah, there is. Yeah. I wonder if they're dodgy. Uh, very. Uh, but then again, that's. But that's <laughs> I'm about to say that's slander, but like I know that they're not exactly uh anyway, let's let's leave it at that, shall we? Don't um, want to find I did that out, do you? Yeah. Jesus. No, you carry on. I've been knocking on my fucking door. Uh no, they're not dodgy. They're not um 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so if we take this point in the movie, the deaths uh, way after he starts, if you know what I mean. So, I, I think they're probably about two or three weeks in to when he started to when the deaths actually happen. So, I mean, is there a reason for that? Probably. Don't know why, but uh, the pacing, I thought the pacing was good in the film, in all fairness. But this is where, you know, this is where we start to see in the book, you know, there's there's, there's like a secret floor and there's a secret room with um, some chap called Devasha who uh, seems to be in control of the firm, more or less. Devasha in the film? Yeah, he's Wilfred Brimley, the big fat geezer with the moustache. Oh, of course, yeah. So, yeah, that's the Vasher. But in the book, he, he comes across, like, you know, like the most powerful people in the firm. Not They're not scared of him, but, like, he, they have to do what he says. He comes across more of a henchman in, in the book. He's just a fat, gay, fat, fat security guard in, a, in the film. Yeah, no, no that, well, I mean, for me, I think in the book, he comes across as, like, you know, he's he's the one, he's, he's in control. What he says goes, if he says you do something, you got to do it. Doesn't matter how much money you've got or, or like, if you're the owner of the firm or you're the, the lead partner or whatever title you have, if he yeah. says you've got to do it, you've got to do it. So he was completely in control there. And he's that mysterious, that, you know, that kind of what what is going on at this point? You know where what's going on. He's kind of the like lead connection between the firm and the mob. I think, isn't he? Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, it is. We're going to ruin um, the film anyway. Well, that's very true. Um, yeah, so like, I think like the book kind of like it really sets the ground out because you know there's uh, like you said there's a lot of tax work being done. There's a lot of talking about percentages and, and you know, this, that, the other. Uh, there's not much going on, you know. They go for lunch all the time. But every now and again, there's these secret meetings. And you're like, what are the, what's going on? What are these secret meetings all about? And it isn't until really, it's kind of, um, it's kind of like about chapter 10, where Mitch passes the bar. So he's like an official lawyer that's when it starts to really kind of kick in he's uh like mitch is out having lunch and he's visited by uh tarrants the fbi agent who more or less just goes oh you there's some trade dodge going on <laughs> and you want to <laughs> there's some trade dodge activity and if you don't help me then uh you're going to go down as well which i think this is where we see mitch is not just some mad geezer who just likes to work all the time, uh, but actually as someone who's quite astute, because what he does, instead of keeping his mouth shut, he goes straight to the firm and goes, I've just been approached by an FBI agent, and everyone shits the pants. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tries, to, tries to play it cool, uh, you know, tell him that it's just a standard thing that the FBI do, this, that, the other, but then... When uh, Devasha finds out, he's like, yeah, we're going to keep tabs on the kid, blah, blah, blah. And I was just having a quick read through earlier on, um, just to try and get my uh, my uh, my book and my film in order. And uh, I think one of them goes, mate, he works 20 hours a day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that like, was something they didn't <laughs> emphasise much in the film, that the amount of work he was doing and what the, and the difficulties it was causing on the, the relationship, the strain it was causing on the relationship and everything. It was uh-huh. a big thing in the book. It wasn't so much emphasised in the film. Well, you see, it's the one thing that I, I've always struggled with uh, with films. So, like, for instance, you know, like if, um, like, you know, the lead character's a copper or something, and like the woman's like, oh man, you're always at work. You're always being a cop. You're like, how you long fucking you marrying for? You know what you're getting into. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, how long have you been married? Oh, we've been married 15 years. You've been a cop for 20 years. You're like, <laughs> you, you shouldn't. Listen, right, my missus is a barrister, right? And she like graphs like no one I've ever seen, right? Not only is she like super intelligent, right? But like she Super rich as well. No. You lucky bugger. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, but, like, but, like, but like, literally, like, like she could be working till like 11 o'clock at night on cases and stuff. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. she's, but like, she's dealing with people's freedom. And so, you know, she can't just go, it's five o'clock. Fuck that geezer. You know what I mean? She's like, you know, she's like watching CCTV. She's doing documents. She's preparing arguments. And it's not like she's just got one case. She could have like 30. 
So, yeah. like, but I understand that. So, my wife's the same. She she works in theatre, like working on in orthopedics on bones, and it's like oh, nice. the time's five. She finishes at five, but she can't say, okay, I know you 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 cut open your bones are all hanging out, but the watch doesn't lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> unlike me, uh, five o'clock. That's it, mate. See you later. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so I but like that's that's the thing. Like like. And especially as he's like a Harvard graduate, he would have been doing like he's like especially in the film, they kind of put that across, you know. He's like doing job interviews in his dinner hour, you know, he's like he's playing basketball, then he's interviewing, then he's working and the and then he's studying and so on and so forth. She must have knew that was the case. But I suppose it's it's it was it was a way of kind of like keeping like oh know, keeping her out of the loop. So to speak, because you know, there's, there's, it was a nice plot point to get rid of her at some points, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Which, which we'll come on to anyway. Let's go back to the film. So, so we're at the point where Terence has approached him. But in the film, I always thought in the book that Terence was black, and I don't know. Uh, I always thought, I always thought the Terence in the the book was a nicer character than oh, the Terence in the film. But I'm not sure whether he was described as black or not. In the book, if you know what I mean, not like all oh, this black guy, but like, that part. no, but no, but that was because when I watched the film, I was like, I'm sure Terence was like a black guy, and I think, I think actually, because um, I don't know whether it was like when uh, he met Abby later on on the bus, and he's like a, a black guy with a white woman kind of thing. Like, I, I would just, I just maybe I. I don't know, maybe I'll just made an assumption that he was a, a black chap, I don't know. Um, not that it makes any difference, but that was just my assumption, anyway. So, yeah, so um, uh, at this point, Abby gets a job uh, as a teacher, because she's a teacher, um, and she gets a job at the local school, uh, but she was told that it's not forbidden for wives to work. It's yes. Not, it's, not, it's not forbidden. And you're just like, and, and she's like, what do you want to mean, not forbidden? Like, surely I can do what I like. I always wonder why the other wives had never questioned it the same way she does, because I think most people in the world, I think 99% of people, if they were told, oh, you know, it's it's not forbidden for you to do this by uh, my husband's firm, I'd imagine most people would question that. Uh, I suppose it depends, doesn't it? Because I think, I think you know, uh, because no one leaves the firm and everyone's been there for X amount of time and so on and so forth and the money's great and they're given the house and they're given a car and they're given, you know, maybe some people just like, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? My husband's just uh, like 250 grand this year. You can do what the fuck he likes. (laughs) I'm going to go and spend it because that's all the wives seem to do is just go for lunch and eat and drink. There's lots of eating and drinking uh, going on. I'm not going to lie, Phil. It sounds like a good life to me. I don't think I don't I don't think I would complain. My husband's working for the mob, but oh, fuck it. What well, you know? It's just, I, I get to go out every day drinking. I don't have to worry about money. Out with my mates all the time. Sounds that sounds like a good deal to me. Pretty much. And then um, after Abby gets the job, uh, that's obviously Mitch is working. You know, five in the morning till midnight most most days. She starts to complain. She starts to have a little whinge about he's never at home, and you know, so on and it so on. It started quite quick as well in the book, didn't it? The whinging and the moaning. I expected it, you know, because she she said I think at one point that like she she knows it it's gonna be like when he was at law school and he's gonna be away a lot of the time. She understands, but she really didn't. But what did she expect? No, but to but to add insult to injury. They go, um, ever been to the Caymans, Mitch? No. Were you going next week? It's like, yeah. how'd you broach that one with the missus? <laughs> you know that I'm not around. Well, I'm off to the tropics for a few days. <laughs> Silla. <laughs> like, I had to, um, cause <laughs> I, like, right, my missus loves going away. And I had to really broach carefully that I was being made to go across Europe for a week with with, with work. And I was like, uh, they, want, they, they want me to go to Holland and Belgium. And she was like, am I coming? I'm like, no. Uh, is, it, <laughs> is, it, is it okay if I go? But of course, if I don't go, I might get the sack. <laughs> so can I, please, can I go? <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so they go to the Caymans. They're working on Sonny Caps. Sonny Caps, who doesn't sound like a gangster at all. Um, uh, <laughs> I think go, I thought of it. <laughs> Sonny Caps. So they go to the Caymans with um, so it's uh, it's it's Jane Hatman. So it's um, Avery. So uh, Mitch and Avery go off to um, go off to the Caymans. They do their work, and Avery's blowing off some steam. He's pulled a bird. 
and I'm going to have to talk about this Gene Hackman what the fuck is Gene Hackman doing in this role like in the book like Avery's what like 25 26 you know washboard abs Peter Andre lookalike and then you get Gene Hackman playing it's like mate okay come on now like I can I can believe that Tom Cruise plays basketball just about you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> but Gene Hackman's playing a 26 year old with, with, with washboard abs no Tom because you know because his missus is Janine Triple and he doesn't want to shag the bird that's with uh, uh, Gene Hackman's other girl he tells her to get lost and then instantaneously decides to have an affair yeah like I didn't get that I was like this just makes no sense like that you don't go no and then oh go on then a second later it's like it was uh, I think it was I think they had to try and make a character flaw somewhere uh, because he didn't have any flaws other than like just working really hard Uh, so it's just but obviously they needed some kind of some kind of way I don't know uh, well later on I've got my notes there but yeah so he ends up having a bit of this bird Um, (laughs) and and unbeknownst to him uh, it's a setup, and he's been photographized. Is photographized the word, Richie? No, definitely not. Can photographed, it be a word? photographed would probably be the word, um, but photographized sounds good. Oh, mate, I'm telling you, photographized. Get it trending. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, so when he comes back, when he comes back from the Caymans, and I'm just trying to figure it out, did he? He'd visited Ray. Pre, like he'd visited his brother previously in jail, hadn't he? And no one had known that he had a brother in jail. And they and kind I of. I think that in the book they knew he had a brother, but they didn't know where he was and they couldn't find him. And then one uh, day he went right, to the prison, yeah. and then that's when they no, found him. No, no, I think I think it was the mom that couldn't find, but they never knew he had a brother because he never told them he never told anyone because obviously his brother being no, in jail in the, in the, I don't know about the film but in the book they knew he had a brother but they didn't know where he was uh, okay cool. I, I don't remember but I know that he went he went to see him previous to uh, previous to the Cayman Island trip because I think when he comes back from the Caymans he goes and sees him uh, and he puts him on to Eddie Lomax his private investigator because he's, he's got concerns and so he goes and visits Lomax uh, and Lomax, you know, he fills Lomax in and he keeps it off the books. And I think by now Mitch knows that he's being listened because the FBI told him he's being listened to. And he's been very careful not to say anything to his missus. He's, uh, he's got Lomax on the case as well, uh, which is... Um, and, and, and at this point, it's kind of really ramping up. Well, for me, like the tension in that book was there all the time. I think I said to you a couple of times, I've had to put it down because I can't cope. <laughs> I just can't See, cope now, with attention. I, I I I was surprised when you sent me that message because I wasn't as um, anxious during this book as much as I was during um, oh, what was it called the one with the pill? Um, Limitless. You know the the brain pill. Limitless. Limitless. I was yeah. more anxious during that one. Um. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Actually. Yeah. There was. Well. I think yes and no because I'd read it before, so I was. Yeah. I, I, I kind of knew what the score was but I think I think for, for Limitless I think I was more frustrated I was just like for fuck's sake Eddie what are you <laughs> doing like so like you're meant to be a genius you know what I mean you're acting like a moron but yeah uh, well, I mean I think as as the film went on later uh, sorry the book went on later I got more tense towards the end because it always felt that even though like for me the you know the powers that be at the firm seemed to have... They knew everything at the same time as Mitch, but Mitch was always one step ahead. I always felt that he was one step ahead. And this is where we come... Uh, well, you know, if we look at... If we if we move back into the film uh, at this point, and this is the best bit, and also the saddest bit, because when he makes contact in the film with uh, Eddie Lomax, I'm like, it's the Busey, he's in it. And like his proper, like the energy just went up. And he's like, hey, come in, sit down. Yeah, this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. And like, he talks to him. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to get like loads of scenes with the Busey. And then, like, literally the next scene, he's dead. Yeah. And I was like, you bastards. Like, you've given me 30 seconds of Busey. Like, <laughs> get killed while being sucked off. Uh, well, I knew, you'd, I knew you'd have to bring that up. You, you know, you. Okay, Sorry. that's cool. That's <laughs> quite all right. It's quite all right. Um, but this is where we first meet Tobin Bell. Uh, who plays Jigsaw in the Saw movies. He's the Nordic henchman or the Nordic man. But obviously, and I suppose 
I suppose this had to be kind of closed up quickly. They can't, because it's a two and a half hour film, you can't have Beauty doing his investigation separately. It's kind of obviously what's happened here is he's had a look. He, he, he's kind of clicked up a few files it's rung bells and it's got him killed but in the book now Richie and I've had to and I went back a couple of times uh, it's not actually mentioned he's dead until Tammy turns up at Mitch's house and goes Eddie's dead and he goes I know how the fuck do you know you did, like, like, did I miss a little bit where like it was in the paper because I don't remember that it was kind of just like not there, which was really weird. I don't remember him saying that. No, but that's what I mean. Like, like, because Tammy turns up and well, she, she leaves a note on his door and says, "Can you meet me?" And when he meets her, she goes, "Eddie's dead." He goes, "I know." Yeah, that, that, I, don't, I don't remember him saying, "I know." I don't remember that. Yeah, well, that's when that's when they met. Yeah, and it was kind of like, well, hang on, and this was over the Christmas period while Abby was away, because Abby goes away for Christmas, and this was the. Uh, like this was the, like the bits obviously there's a friction with the parents so she she's like well I ain't staying here while you're never here so I'm off to my parents that gets her out of the picture and then at this point in the um, this point in the uh, the book Mitch goes to kind of find his mother but like doesn't really make contact I think it's a bit of a book filler really more than anything else but also an exercise in um, him kind of dodging being followed everywhere because you have that feeling he's been everywhere he's going he's being followed he's being listened to everywhere he is and he has to be very very careful in what he's doing which i thought built the tension up quite a lot because you because you kind of felt like uh, it was like quite claustrophobic if you think you know i'm just like the chaps worked his bollocks off to get his law degree passed the bar and he took a job which is in good faith and now he's being listened to and <clears throat> watched every second of his day and I felt quite bad for him at this point in all fairness yeah he's even got even got cameras and shit in the house as well and them listening to him have sex and all that investigating not investigator but the security guy keeps saying to the the main boss whatever his name is um I've got some... Um, the boss keeps asking questions about the sex life. What's the sex life like? And uh, he was saying things like, oh, I've got some um, images or I've got some uh, captions or something because I know how much you like that. The dirty old... You dirty old cunt. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so that's obviously... Ha- so that's obviously happened to everyone who's joined the firm kind of thing. That's their little... Uh, that's their little bit. But things kind of hot up uh, at this point because uh, Mitch goes to do some photocopying and he can't use the photocopier because you have to put a code in. It has to be connected, and this, that, the other one, two, three, and that doesn't really mean anything to anyone at that point. This it's is... not in the film either, is it? Really? Yeah, like, um... yeah, no, yeah, no. That bit is that bit is when like he's trying to use the copier and like the alarms go off, and I think it's coming. Going like, what are you doing? Because I'm copying. He goes like, well, you've got a secretary for that. He's like, what do I need permission to copy or something? But that comes in like. Because he goes to Washington for the for the tax seminar, ends up meeting with um, uh, Denton Voyles, who's the head of the FBI, and they're like, you know, we want copies of this, that, the other, and it's like, ah, oh, how are you going to get that? Because you can't copy anything, because we've just found that out. And um, this bit, like, he was completely in control. He got right. What do you want? Well, I can get you the files. What do you want? Well, I want a million quid, and I want my brother out of jail. And they're like, nah. He can't get your brother out of jail. He's on for manslaughter. It's like, well, that's the deal. Take it or leave it. He's very much in control in the book, but in the film, it's not really that straightforward, is it? No, it's uh, not. Then. Is it, they're a lot more knobby to him, I think, in the uh, in the film. than. Uh, and the, 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 in the film, I don't think they did in the book, but in the film they plan on getting him back into prison once they've got everything they want out of the situation. What, you reckon? Yeah, I think I think it was mentioned. Yeah, uh, they they mentioned that they, once it once it's all gone through, we'll hunt him down and get him back in prison. I'm, I'm sure that was a thing. Oh, because in the book, no. So mm, that's interesting. I so I, I don't particularly remember that. I might uh, be wrong, but I'm. It's something that stands out in my head. It wasn't in the book, I don't think, but it was definitely in the film. Well, no, in the in the book, he's an escapee. So if he gets caught, he gets caught and he's going back to jail, isn't he? That's yeah, the... but I think he... Oh, well, so in the film... Yeah, yeah. and in the, fil- in the film, um, they're, they're meant to follow him, but uh, they lose him and they, they want to keep following him because eventually, once, once everything's done and dusted, they want to ha- have him back. Oh, uh, OK. Interesting. So I think, really, in the book and in the film... Uh, well, actually, in the book, it's quite... From this point on, it's set out quite clearly. Uh, Mitch wants... A million quid 
He wants half a million up front and half a, uh, and half a million when he delivers the um, the files and he wants his brother out of jail and that's it. And you either say yes or you say no. And if you say no, then you can go fuck yourself. But I think by this point, well, it's not even by this point, it's when he comes back from Washington in, in the book, uh, he's presented with uh, the photos of him in the Cayman Islands and the threat that they'll tell Abby if he steps out of line. And there's the one point when he gets home and there's the photograph envelope on the on the table and he starts to like shit himself. And then he goes up to the missus and she goes, well, there's nothing in there, it's really strange. And at that point, I, I, I think at that point in the book, he's like, right, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, that was a big difference between the book and the film. Um, the book was more realistic whereas the film was very formulaic and followed a lot of film rules it's like Tom Cruise I couldn't go on you know with, with being a lawyer and he had to tell her he had to tell her the truth whereas in the book she never really fucking found out no and I also I didn't know why the at, at, at the time I was like ah I can see why they're doing this because they're gonna move this bit forward but it never like it never mated to anything if you know what I mean it was like there was no real purpose for him to tell it was a plausible threat though it was a plausible threat and it was an effective threat yes which which I suppose I suppose you could say well well I've told her so if you send photos now you can go fuck yourself it's not actually going to affect anything Uh, but in the film it kind of it kind of well it, it served a purpose actually it did serve a purpose and the purpose that it served was at the end of the film because with his plan when uh, he gets Tammy on board and they set up an office away and he takes all the files and he gets them all copied there while he's having his meetings at the old cotton mill with a client and that's how he's getting the copies out um whereas in the in the film uh, it should be said that like he discovers that dodger room pretty quickly and he oh all, all these mob things it take in the book it takes him a while to figure out it's to do with the mob or at least the FBI tell him it's the mob whereas in the in the film he finds out within like 12 minutes that it's the mob because he opens the door and sees all the the files but that's where the plan comes for for in the book for Tammy to go there basically drug Avery and copy all the files which they do uh, quite nicely but again they're being followed every every second no matter where they go somebody's there waiting and it's just like shit they can't do anything it's just bizarre and it's and it was quite strange where like all the evidence points to them up to no good but they still don't do anything about it if you know what I mean it's like oh yeah well you know his wife's turned up there and his wife's here and his wife's there what's she doing in these places where she shouldn't really be oh don't worry about it it's like come on now come on sort yourself out yeah that was a bit different because in the book she went to her mum and dad's which didn't happen until the TV series what do you mean? Well, the, the mum and dad thing, where she, she fucked, fucked off and left him and went to her mum and dad's. Yeah. That didn't happen. In the book, she went there for Christmas, but when she come back, she said, oh, my mum's like, got cancer or she's had a lung operation or it was something tri-dodge and she had to go away for a few weeks. Whereas, and then they started getting, well, she's been away a while. Oh, we've investigated. There's no woman with the surname such and such having any operation, but that's when she was in the Caymans rinsing ivory of all his gear. Was his wife in the Caymans in the book? I thought Tammy did it all on her own in the book. No. Fucking hell, have I got confused with the movie? In the movie, the wife joins joins her and um, joins Tammy. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. In the book, it's Janae Triplehorn. It's the wife who does the seducing. Whereas in the book, it's Tammy that does the seducing. Tammy puts the puts the shit in his drink because Mitch doesn't know I don't think Mitch knows that Abby went I'm not sure oh fucking hell Richie it all blends into one doesn't it unfortunately I thought that in the book she did actually go to her mum and dad's to get away from him that did actually happen and uh, in the film it didn't but in the TV series it happened then she she fucked off to mum and dad's in the TV series instead of the book instead of the movie oh, does she not does she not meet up with Ray though actually is that right there's a uh, 
because obviously in the book, I let, God, let's just stick with the book for now. And let's try and see what we can re- <laughs> let's see what we can remember. Because uh, obviously Ray does the bunk, like Ray, like Ray loses his. Um, oh no, that's it. She was in a hotel for ages, weren't she? Because Mitch goes all that way and meets her in a hotel and gives her the plan. And I think she meets up with Ray, and then that's when they end up like basically cornered on the coast. That's when you've got the mafia chasing him, and that's when you've got Devash's firm chasing the mob are chasing him. That's after the mob get the FBI guy to, to to find out what was going on. If you remember, yeah. So I think it's a bit uh, it, it's a bit misty in my memory what Abby's original role was, but I know that obviously Tammy had drugged Avery in the book and copied all the stuff. And so they've got all the files, they've got everything. It's all being shipped over into their storage and that's where he's going to let, what's his face, Tarrant know where it is uh, at some point. Nobody's any the wiser. Oh, she was on the phone to her, wasn't she? In the book, she was on the phone to her and that's where they get the... She's on the phone, she's talking to someone and so on and so forth, this, that, the other. Uh, so it started kind of heats up there and then... The four of them are on the run, aren't they? They're, they're on the run. They end. Uh, I think uh, what's her face? Uh, Abby ends up at a hotel, and the blonde woman follows her in the book. And then Ray ends up killing. Well, no, doesn't kill her. He, he bounds her and gags her in the room. And her and him and Abby run off. And that's where the pressure's really on them because the mob know where they are. The police are looking for him because they said it was a, a robbery and a rape. So they're looking for a bloke who's escaped from prison on manslaughter, robbed and raped a woman, and the and they're in this local area. And that's where it starts to heat up in the book. Yeah. Um, I remember in the film, no, in the book, I got a bit pissed off with Ray because there's that bit where they're more hunkered up because them shit in the pants. They're in, they're in the hotel. They've got um, themselves, the guy who works on the, the desk, uh, helping them out because uh, he was wronged or something by the... Yeah, I don't that's know, right, he was yeah. helping them anyway. Yeah. And then... Like they've got like one day left or something that they can they're, they're gonna be able to get out there. And Ray decides, I want a beer. I'm going to the shop. No, don't go to the beer because everybody's looking for us. Everybody's yeah. out there. No, yeah. I'm gonna go and get a beer. Fuck yeah. off. Just no, no. Well, just no. No, no, no. And I and I understand that because I was exactly the same. But I think it's kind of just to like you've got to add a little bit more tension because if you just sat in a room then there's no tension. You know no, what I mean? You he's been that. in prison for all that time. He's finally got out and yeah, there's freedom ahead. And he's thinking, mm-hmm. no, no, no. I'd, I'd, I'd rather just risk it for a beer. It, it was a stupid thing to do, 100%. Um, when did you figure out what his plan was? His plan? Ray's plan. Uh, Mitch's plan. What do you to mean? Escape. Well, his plan to escape because they were, they were caught, they were trapped. They had the police looking for him. They had the mob looking for him. They had the firm looking for him. When did you figure out how they were going to how they were going to escape? To me, it never seemed like they had a solid plan. Oh no, they, well, they clearly did. I like the I like the idea when he, he said, you know, we'll we'll get away in the water, but all that was covered as well. Yeah, well, that was it was probably about eight pages before. I was like, ah, oh, that's how they're going to get away with a banks because um, obviously previous to this, uh, it was all Shawshank Redemption, wasn't it? He'd basically fleeced the company of all the money. He'd sent a million quid to Abby's parents. He'd give you know x amount of money here and there. He'd put the money all over the world in different accounts, and they were off to spend their ill-gotten gains. That was, I was like, shit, they've got the water covered and this, that, the other. And it was just funny when they went, you know, um, A. Banks is a, is a skilled seaman. They never oh, knew. Yeah, I never figured that. They never that. knew he was there or that they'd gone. And I just thought, that's a pretty cool ending. But my theory on the difference between the, the film ending was because of Shawshank Redemption. Because of Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, because um, Shawshank Redemption, even though it come out a year later, the book was the book was out like 10 years previous because I've seen Shawshank Redemption he basically fleeces the governor doesn't he puts all the money into a different account and this that the other and then escapes and fucks off with all of his money and that's pretty much what happens in this as well now whether it was an homage or whether it was like oh I didn't realise that was the case and that like he's done it that way in the book and then someone's gone that's the end of the Shawshank Redemption and they're making that movie at the moment and he's gone, oh, fucking hell, we need to change it. I think it might have been just an ha- uh, unhappy accident. 
Okay, so why did they change the ending then so differently? Pro- probably because of that, but I think it was an accident. I don't think it'd have been a copy of the book. No, 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 I'm not saying I'm not saying that John Grisham went. Oh, I know, I want to do a Shawshank ending because I actually haven't read the the book of the Shawshank Redemption, so I don't know if that's the actual case. But that was a kind of thinking in my head. But I think, do you prefer the ending of the film or the ending of the book? The ending of the book. I, I, to be honest, I, I thought the end of the film was pretty cool. He just turns up to the mob and goes, "Look, this is the score. Like, I'm your, I'm your lawyer, and I'm gonna fucking do this, and we're gonna have the firm in the net, and you're gonna be fine." And they were like, "Hey, man, I like your cojones." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The ending of the film was good, and it makes uh, for a perfect segue into the TV series. But I still like the book ending. It was more... It's kind of like more open into interpretation, how things, you know, they've got a way. What what happens next is down to you, down to what you think. Did they... Does the firm ever come after them or... Did they all get arrested? They take down the firm. I don't think they take down the mob. Oh, no. Oh, well, 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 no, they do because... They, no, because that's right. Because all of the stuff is in, like, the U-Haul truck. And they phone Terrence and go... This is well. It's in the hotel. They go. This is where you can find all the details that you need to take them all yeah. down. So they're obviously they're all finished. And then he's off with like eight million quid of their money. Yeah, honestly, between the book, I mean, there's a few minor details, but overall, I, don't, I, I think the story is very, very fucking close. I don't, I don't think there's that much of a major difference. It's it's just. Uh, Small details. Well, other than the end, but no, no. I mean, yeah. Other, it's weird because I think the film really is probably longer than the book in a way. Like, if you take out all, you know, that oh, I'm just going to do my law exam or I'm just going to do all these tax returns, it's actually probably about two and a half hours worth of action, and they managed to do a two and a half hour film where they've covered more or less absolutely everything, which was pretty cool. So I tell you what. um Let's move on to soundtracks. Now, Richie, have you got a soundtrack for this film? Not really, no. I don't don't think there's anything wrong with the soundtrack it had, really. It's... um it's, no, it was very New Orleans kind of jazzy yeah. blues, and I think that's really all it like. Uh, uh, and I think the same for Howlraiser because we didn't do that on the Howlraiser, but Howlraiser didn't need a soundtrack; it had that brilliant. It, score. Need, it needed what it got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So there's no soundtrack needed. Um, what about what about change of characters? Would you have had somebody else play somebody else? Or? I think I know uh, oh we're not talking about the TV series, but I think the main character played a better part than Tom Cruise yes uh, but only in the circumstances are you going to have to explain that Phil Uh, well because first of all it was like 10 years later so I think Tom Cruise was a really good Mitch McDeer I believe um, but also, like the circumstances are different. He's ten years out of witness protection. It's it's a ten years late a bit. You know what I mean? So, but no, I do agree that he's a good lawyer. But he also got more in the TV. If the people who listen don't know, there is a TV series uh, called The Firm, and it's set ten years after the initial movie. But you get to see him more. He's he's practicing law. He's working on cases, so on and so forth. It's not just a fight for your life movie. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's a very formulaic um, TV series. It's, it's very similar to the the way NCIS and uh, things like that work. It's uh, so. Are you saying that you'd rather have the chap who played Mitch McDeer in the TV series than Tom Cruise? I think Is so. Yeah, because when we're talking about the film and the book and the difference, and we talk about Mitch McDeer, I don't picture Tom Cruise. I keep picturing him. Yeah, that's because it's the last thing you watched. You plonker. Yeah, maybe. Well, I've got a few suggestions. Um, I would like to have seen Gary Busey play Gene Hackman's character and vice versa. Okay. I would like to have seen Busey as Hackman's character and just Busey it for the whole film. See, the love that you have for Bu- the love that you have for Busey, I don't have. I don't like. I find him a very awkward person. I find him awkward to watch. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't like watching him. Well, but you think about it, he's that, like, so that character, you don't like watching him, you think he's a bit awkward and he's playing an awkward no, I geezer. I he's awkward, he's an awkward actor. I find him well, awkward well, to watch in anything that he does. 
Okay, that's fair enough. But I would have liked to have seen Busey play the Hackman character, most definitely. Um, I think as well, I think as we were talking about uh, Devasher earlier on, about, you know, kind of he's in charge, he's the scary security geezer. I would like to have seen Michael Rooker or uh, Michael, or, uh, or, uh, Michael Ironside play that role. There was a character, um, what the, one of the main guys in the firm, uh, he was described as having dark eyes. Um, yeah, that's what? the uh, that's the main. That's, that's the, the main. The, what was that's his name? The main, it, it was it, it was an Oliver Lambert. Uh, let's have a look. Um, Locke, Locke, his name was Locke. Was Locke. Yes. Locke. Now, Locke. Was he, did he appear in the film? Well, he must have at some point. But it was big in the, it was big in the in the book. He had a it was big, big in the book, but he, yeah, it, it was quite. And if I was going to cast him in the film, the character, have you got your computer in front of you? Yes, I do. Type in Kenneth Copeland. Okay, let's have a look. Hmm. Hang on, are we the what the American televangelist? Yes, it's okay, he's, yeah. he's exactly yeah. how I picture the yeah, yeah. Uh, that that character. I can I can allow it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. odd and it's a str- it's a strange thing. I don't know, it's a strange. You know, I could, I could brought up anybody, but for some reason, him for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I kind of struggled myself to kind of think who might be like a proper lurk or, or, or like a bit of a weird lurky type of looking chap. Yeah, okay, I'll or go the, with you. Or the headless horseman out of. Um... Oh, what's his name? You know, the headless orphan from Sleepy Hollow. What was his name? Oh, Christopher Walker, you thought. Yes, about? there we go. That's the one. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, I don't think so, no. Um, I think it needed to be, like, it would need to be someone not recognisable. In the book, he had a bigger part. In the oh, film, massive, he didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't, no. But you, I don't, I don't if, think he was particularly needed in the film, to be perfectly honest. No, I suppose. So I say Beauty for Gene Hackman. I always say Michael Rooker uh, for Devasher. Uh, I think he's much more menacing, much more threatening, uh, or Michael Ironside. Uh, I think they would have done very well. I also would have gone for one of my uh, favourite 80s and 90s B-movie bad guys uh, instead of um, Tobin Bell. I would have gone for Matthias Hughes because Matthias Hughes is like, you know, he's like six foot four, muscle bound, long blonde hair. And he would have been a bit more scary than what Tobin Bell was because I could probably take him. You know what I mean? I ain't scared of you, mate. Knock you right out, Matthias Hughes. He was in, um, have you ever seen uh, Dark Angel with Dolph Lundgren? I come in peace. Uh, that chap, but like he's a big muscle bound German chap, proper. Like he would have fit the bill quite nicely, I think. But I think everyone else was quite well cast. Yeah, I agree. So, Richie, it comes to that point where we're saying, do you prefer the book or the film? Um, I think even Stevens, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I think I think if it's difficult to choose, then the film's done a very good job. Yeah, it's 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 not a million miles away from the book. You're not missing anything. Everything that you need is there, and everything that the book that's not in the book is probably just padding that doesn't need to be in the movie. Most definitely, I agree with you there. I think it's even Stevens. We should really do a chart at some point. Yeah, that's not a bad idea actually. I can get on that. I think this is the first one we've done where the the book and the film have come out the same. Um. Is it? In, ter- is it really? in, ter- in, term- in terms of a scale, a scale from one to ten, yeah. We've done a few, a few where the the book and the film have been very close and the the same as in like um, the, there's not much difference, but we still preferred the book over the film. Oh, okay, thing. yeah, no, yeah, that, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point indeed. I think Hellraiser was close. I think um, I think uh, what was the one uh, the uh, the Nick Hornby one with John Cusack? Oh yeah. That was like more or less word for word. That was, wasn't it? Watchmen yeah. was. But I still was, the f- was. I think I still preferred the film, didn't I? For the uh, that one. High fidelity. Yeah. High fidelity. Yeah. Did we prefer the film because it did everything the book? You know what I mean? It, it brought the book to life, and I think that's that's with the firm. I think the film brought the book to life. Yeah. Mm, I said that about the Hellraiser though. I, the Hellraiser, the film that helped me envision the book. I prefer the book, but help the, the, I, I kind of needed the film to picture the book the way it was supposed to be envisioned. The only reason for that is because the the film was directed by the by the author. Yeah, no, that's true. That is very true. That is very true indeed. Uh, yeah, I don't think I needed the film to envision the book particularly. You know Not what I mean? For this one now. No. 
Although, what I've got to say is there were some wicked foot chases in this, especially towards the end. I was like, yeah, man, a, a traditional foot chase. Like, seriously, not like not since, I think, probably not my favourite foot chase, but I always, like, like, if someone said to me, name a foot chase in a movie, I'd say The Matrix. Yeah. Like, like when, like, like, Neo's legging it away from the Agent Smith. And like grabs the geezer's phone and you know the agents just like start turning like people turning into agents left right and center i'm like motherfucker you ain't getting away from these geezers are you this is hardcore and it's the same in uh, uh the firm you know he's like you know he's in the museum and he gets grasped and he gets grasped by one of the wives oh what's mitch doing in the museum he's in the oh, museum yeah. and like yeah, he's that wasn't in it. the book yeah well no because obviously the ending was completely different but yeah uh, it was like you know well actually yeah it does he does do a foot chase because he jumps off that bloody balcony in the uh, oh, in the yeah, shopping mall, does doesn't he? In, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, wow, proper foot chase, man. He's like jumped and he's legged it and he's hidden in a changing room and this, that, the other. And it's like, yeah, it was, it was quite exciting. It was quite uh, uh, enthralling at some point. So yeah, there was some uh, there was some good legging moments. But there's a uh, if you the listeners are interested in us talking about the firm, the TV series, which I'm halfway through, but unfortunately, Love Island's on. So I have to wait another two months now before I can carry on watching The Firm. We could talk about because some of the foot chases in that was pretty awesome as well. Yeah, I finished the I finished the firm about three weeks ago. The, the TV series I was watching it at work. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'll watch it with them. Uh, me and the missus get about an hour, uh, an hour in the evening to watch a uh, to watch a, a program. We've been watching the firm, and I said like the missus is a barrister, so she's like well into it. But now Love Island's on; she's into that, so I have to wait for a couple of months now. Yeah, the TV series is well worth watching. It's good, and there's lots of episodes to keep you going as well. Okay, so Richie, uh, you prefer the book over the film, is that correct? Or, or no, no, we're even no, Stevens. It's, it's even we're Stevens. Even, we're even Stevens. Okay, we are even Stevens. For the listeners, for the benefit of the listeners, we've got a couple of good guests lined up. If you don't want to listen just to us, you want to listen to some top class guests, we've got some coming up. We've got some books lined up as well. But as I said earlier on, if you've got any suggestions for us, please do contact us at adapted to screen at gmail.com and let us know what you want us to cover or follow us over on Twitter. Uh, Twitter at Adapted to Screen and let us know what you want us to cover next. Mm, it's been a bit more of a straightforward episode this time. I think that's the way it works when it's just the two of us. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's been a straightforward but good episode, I think. And uh, next time should be a good one. We're going to be covering the book and the film Johnny Mnemonic, uh, the film starring, starring, starring Keanu Reeves. Stop, stop telling people what uh, we're going well, to do. I'm going to tell people no, because you've, no, you've pointed because out that we've got listeners now, and I want to on on their opinion before the episode, so so we can mention them uh, on the episode. You see, because yeah, because the thing is though, we always say we're going to do something, and we never do it. We do somewhere else but okay so if you are listening to this and you have watched Johnny Mnemonic or read the book and you'd like to give us your 10 pence and let us know what you think just uh, shoot us a message and tell us your thoughts and we'll yeah we'll uh, give you a shout out or a mention in the next episode yeah we'll do that yeah let's have some audience interaction with 10 episodes yeah. in well, well, this is the 11th episode. Uh, we're 11 episodes in. So let us know your thoughts. Yeah, do that. Um, anything else to add, Phil? No, uh, just thanks to the listeners. Thank you to you, Richie, for doing all the hard work. And Yeah, um, this one's going to be hard work. This one is. Fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and l- let's not leave it three weeks after I've finished the book before we do another review I can mean, we, we do it like in, we never intend to do it that way it's just like life but yes all in all this has been a good episode thank you Phil for joining me and um, yes um, this has been the Adapted to Screen podcast you can go and check us out over at www.yhhtmpc.com we've got a page over there you can check us out on Twitter we've got an Adapted to Screen page there and we're on Facebook go check us out over there go and check oh, out all of our Instagram yeah, yeah. It, I'm on Instagram Oh, you created an Instagram account, didn't you? Yeah, I don't uh, yeah. do anything on it. Facebook as well, we're there as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Facebook. Go check us out, go and leave some comments, go and interact. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And, yeah, you can find us on all podcast places. So, yeah, this has been the Adapted to Screen podcast. I've been Richie. I've been Phil. Thank you for listening, if indeed you still are. Cheerio. 
maintain the confidence and preserve inviolate the secrets of my client. I will maintain the confidence and preserve inviolate the secrets of my client. Mitch, the letter you got from Bendini, Lambert, and Locke was the only one sent out. We want you. Do you have a, an offer in mind? It includes a bonus schedule, and we'd lease you a new Mercedes. Plus a low-interest mortgage. As in home? With Grasima? And a two-car garage. These are nice people, Abby. Okay, I'm more impressed with it than you are. You grew up with it. Did you ever think I'd make a six-figure salary? Absolutely. Since we deal primarily in tax and securities, our clients are very wealthy. We keep each other's secrets. I don't want anyone with family money. I'm not sure I follow. They want you lean and hungry. If all your money comes from one source, then you tend to be very loyal to that source. Marty Kaczynski and Joe Hodges were killed. There was some kind of explosion on the boat. Kay was scared. Did you know the men who died? Yes. You must be overwhelmed with grief. People grieve in different ways, Miss McDear. You think I'm talking about breaking the law? No, I'm just trying to figure out how far you want it bent. As far as you can without breaking it. That room looks like a health hazard. That's four dead lawyers. None of them over the age of 45. Where are you guys? The FBI wouldn't have come after you if they didn't think they'd get to you. Now, what do you think made them think that? I have no idea. Well, they might know how important your young wife is to you. Anything's possible. I'll tell you one thing. If those guys at the stake joint were feds, you better watch out for them. We might be misreading McDear. You've got nothing to be suspicious about. I get paid to be suspicious when I got nothing to be suspicious about. Why are you asking questions about dead lawyers? What dead lawyers? I know you'll do your best to protect the firm. Won't you, Mitch? We have faith that you're going to be with us for a long, long time, Mitch. Fact is, nobody has ever left us. Nobody.